Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to episode 270 of Habs Unfiltered. This episode kicks off the sixth season of this podcast. We want to take this time to thank all of our listeners, old and new, who have supported us through this entire time. Um, We wanted to give you, our listeners, a special gift. We have an extra special guest on today's episode. Uh, We have invited Bill Guerin, the general manager of the Minnesota Wild, to come onto the show and just talk about hockey and hang out for a little bit and we're going to share that with you right after these messages we at Habs Unfiltered have formed partnerships with some wonderful groups that have provided us with free goods we want to let you our friends join in and enjoy these products and save. No Name Hockey will provide you 10% off if you use the promo code HABS10 at nonamehockey.co. SeatGiant.com will provide you 35% off your purchasing fees if you use the code UNFILTERED20. If you are living in the Maritimes, specifically Nova Scotia, please go ahead and pay a visit to Boxing Rock Brewery. There's several locations throughout the province, Shelburne, Nova Scotia, and now one on Almond Street in Halifax. Pop in, say hi, tell them the boys at Habs Unfiltered sent you, and you will be surprised by what kind of discounts they will provide. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. Uh, we are joined by a special guest, the general manager of the Minnesota Wild and four-time Stanley Cup champion, member of the United States Hockey Hall of Fame, Bill Guerin. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's not often we get a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Well, Our country. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's good to be on. I, I, uh, I don't mind doing stuff like this. It's pretty... Uh, it's pretty fun, you know, with, with the Zoom calls, you get even more access to like different markets and things like that in a different way. And um, yeah, I, I enjoy doing this. We're really happy you uh, 
we you can we convinced you to come on after we fed you a couple of pitchers of beer. So it was worth the money. <laughs> that always helps. That always helps. Yeah. So to get off the bat, Bill, I'm from Coal Harbor, Nova Scotia. I don't know if you know anyone from Coal Harbor, Nova Scotia. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. <laughs> But uh, I, I think you played with someone, uh, some guy who struggled to get to the NHL. That's from Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia. Yeah, a couple guys that really struggled out of there. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they've really got to work on their youth program. <laughs> but I do have a question. It's a trivia question. Do you know the first player to win a Stanley Cup from Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia? Who? There's only been three. Oh man, really? <laughs> I feel like I should know this, and I feel like when you tell me, I'm going to know, but I don't know. Joey DePenta. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, it's Absolutely. a question I, I throw yeah, out there because yeah, yeah. everyone everyone thinks Sydney. Everyone everyone thinks Sydney yeah. and that. I'm like, no, it was Joey DePenta. Yeah, journeyman defenseman Joey DePenta. Yeah, right shot, deep, big coho. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. I like that. That's funny. <laughs> I still haven't. I I have not been there. I mean, I've been to Nova Scotia. I've been yeah. up to the Maritimes, and it's, you know, it, it's awesome. I, I I love it out there. You know, it's uh it reminds me a lot of a lot of home, a lot like Massachusetts, and um, yeah, it's, it's a great part of the country. You're, you're not missing anything in Cole Harbor, seriously. No, it's, good lobster rolls up there, and I yeah. love Alexander Keith's beer is is one of my favorites, and yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah. Well, ne- next time you're in, let us know, and we'll feed you all the Alexander beer you want. <laughs> Sounds good. Maybe get you onto a warship, drink on board one of them. That's right, yeah. That'll be a first. <laughs> Not for us. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I wanted to uh, want to start with your playing career. I mean, you had a pretty interesting career uh, going from NCAA into the NHL and all that. Uh, but there's one part that I wanted to know about, and that's that 96 World Cup, that very disappointing loss that uh, Canada suffered. Um, wanted to get your take on it because you were on the uh, the Evil Empire side. You guys, <laughs> yeah, that was um, the way the way I always describe it. It was the the fastest, most skilled, um, intense, dirtiest hockey I've ever been a part of. And it was just, it was amazing. Like, um, you know, when you look at the finals there in, in that three game series against team Canada, it was, I mean, that, that team Canada was, was stacked. Um, I don't know how many hall of famers they had, but you know, we were too, you know, we, we had a, a bunch of great players and it, it was just a great, it was a great three game series. And, and, you know, we, we stuck with it. We, we, you know, from our point of view, is that we finally slayed the dragon, you know, and, um, you know, team, team Canada had always pushed us around. Um, it was never really a, a you know, a fair fight. And, and we, we made it that. And, um, you know, it, I, I, I look back on that with such uh, uh, pride that I got to play in that, in that, uh, in that series, not, not just for the U S and not just to win it, but to play in that series, because that, that tournament was, was, you know, it was definitely one for the ages and, and, you know, it really, it really helped propel USA hockey to a different level as well. So 
I'm, I'm really proud of that moment. Did, uh, did you get to dine out on that for a couple of years afterwards with some of your old teammates? Pick no, that's one of those things that you just kind of, you know, you, you leave it and, uh, you know, you, you leave it right there where, where, where it happened. And, you know, I mean, a couple of days later, I was with Scott Stevens and Scott Niedemeyer and Marty Bordier and, you know, we were on to, to other, to other things and, and you just, you just move on. And those are type of things that you, you have so much respect for your opponent opponent and, you know, they're, they're, they're your teammates and your friends. And so you'd never, that's just something you wouldn't throw in their face. How did that compare to winning a cup? You know what? It, it, I think it was just very different. Um, you know, the world cup doesn't come up all that often compared to the Stanley cup, which is every year. And, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and you're growing up, you dream about winning the Stanley cup. You don't um, necessarily, you know, you're not playing street hockey thinking of the world cups and things, but it was very, a very, very uh, huge time in all of our careers where like, like, like I said, we, we helped elevate USA hockey to another, uh, you know, to another, to another level. And um, it, it's right up there. I mean, it, it is special. I mean, those, those, that ring, you know, stand sits right next to my Stanley cup rings. And uh, it, it was a really big one. I, I just, I, I can't stress enough how important that was to, to me and all my teammates and, you know, the, the pride that we have in, in what we were able to accomplish. Uh, do you find that, uh, is there any Stanley cup that's more special to you than the other, or do they, are they all pretty equal on equal base? No, they're all equal. I mean, you know what, they're diff- definitely different experiences. Uh, when I won in 95 with the devils, I was young. Uh, my wife and I were dating at the time. We had no kids. Um, you know, then you, then you get to 2009 where we have four kids and, you know, we bounced around to a bunch of different teams and, you know, it was kind of like something that made it all worth it. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the ones in 16 and 17, where I was assistant general manager was, that was a really different experience, but I I can tell you this, it just because you're not playing doesn't mean anything less, you know, Look, being a player is the best thing. There's nothing that can replace that or, or um, you know, uh, it, it's just it's just a much different experience. But, you know, your name still goes on the cup and you still get the ring and you still get to enjoy your day with it. It's it's uh, it's an experience like no other. And and what have you done on your days with the cup? Did you do anything uh, crazy like some of the other guys we see doing or were you? Pretty yeah, you know, typical stuff, you know, you may you, make sure that your kids have, you know, yeah. their experiences with it and, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. I mean, hey, look, same thing. You just, you throw a big party and just have, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the, the I guess the one in, uh, we've done a bunch, of, I guess every time has been different. Cause like the first time we went, I took it back to my hometown. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the second time was, was almost like a wedding with, without the the nuptials you know like we rented out a big restaurant and everybody got dressed up and it was it was like a real nice event and then the third time we had a party in a a barn a a neighbor had a big barn with a bar in it and stuff and a band and then the fourth time it was uh we only had like 35 people that we brought into town it was more intimate and quiet and it was it was fun i mean they're, they're all great experiences 
So the fourth time, so it's like, nah, no, have... no big deal. Yeah. No big no, deal. No, it's, it's just it, a, they it's start just a costing a heck of a lot of money. <laughs> I'm going broke. I'm, I'm spending all my bonuses. So we had to back down. It's a good thing to give you guys a little bit of cash for winning. Yeah, yeah, that, that always helps. 40, 50 bucks? Yep, yep, a little more per diem. Yeah. Um, so to go back to your college days, um, you came from Boston College to go to New Jersey. What? Can you explain the, uh, the experience you had in the NCAA in that last year specifically? You know what? It was, it was great. I mean, Boston College, was, it, it was my dream school. Um, you know, I, I, that was just the school that I always wanted to go to. I, I, I visited, uh, other schools, but you know, my heart was always at Boston college. And, you know, I, I guess the, the two years that I spent there were, were kind of critical in, in my development because, you know, I had, I had a good freshman year, I had a better sophomore year and I was ready to move on. Um, but you know, I, I wasn't uh, at that point in time in my life. I don't think I was the most mature guy in the world. So I needed the, that couple of years to to grow as a person as well. And I think Boston College helped me do that. And, you know, um, I was probably wasn't the model student, but I but I did what I had to get do to, to get through. And, um, yeah, was some of the great, great years of my life. I, I, I loved it. Do you find that. Uh... And this is kind of going into not really your playing career, but do you find back when you were in NCAA, it was harder for you guys? Like nowadays you see the U S development program and all that kind of stuff. And I think in uh, 2018 or 19 Caulfield's one, like there's a tremendous amount of first round picks from the U S development. Do you find back in your day, it was harder to get noticed by the scouts and that it was more Canadian centric than uh, what it is today? Well, it, it definitely, it, it was definitely, um, like I said, more Canadian centric, like it was, they, 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 the percentage of Canadian players was much higher in the league back then. But I think, you know, since the, uh, the creation of, of the, uh, the NTDP was, um, they produced so many high end players and so many talented players that now, um, you know, we feel like, I think, when you really look at it, that Canada still has the numbers, but when you talk about the, the high end players, the, the, you know, upper echelon players, the U S is right there with them. And, and I think because of the NTDP that that's, you know, that that's been the main reason. And, and now all these kids going into college, they're so prepared for it. They're so uh, ahead of like, you know, we went from, from high school hockey or, you know, like I went from a, basically an uh, independent junior team, the step from where we were to college hockey was huge. These guys are already playing against, you know, USHL college teams, all that stuff. So it's not that big a jump for them. And they, they know how good they are. They know they can go in and dominate right away. And, um, you know, that's probably why you see a lot of the, especially the first round picks, they're, they're not there for too long. Mm. Now that experience at school, I mean, beyond learning um, the ins and outs of development and your, your play, what was it like to be coached by such a great group of coaches there and how strict were they with the curfews? <laughs> well, I played for uh, Lenny Siglarski and, and Steve Cedarchuk there and, and a guy and Joe Mallon. They're our coaches and they're 
they're really good people. They, um, you know, like I said, my, my, my development on the ice was, was fine. It, you know, like I said, I got better from one year to the next, um, curfew. Yeah. They, they didn't check in on us. I guess we were, we were kind of on the honor system and stuff like that. We're pretty good about it. Um, but you played Friday and Saturday night. So Saturday night was usually, it was pretty much a green light. Um, and then, uh, you know, during football season, before we started playing football season was great. Uh, cause you got the football Saturdays and stuff like that. We, uh, we, we had a really good time. Doug Flutie was the quarterback at Boston college at that time, wasn't he? Yeah, no, not, he was way before me. So he, he threw that, uh, Hail Mary touchdown pass. I think it was 84. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was, uh, but that was one of the reasons I went like when he threw that pass, this is the popularity of Doug Flutie in the school, you know, uh, was, was through the roof. And I, I was like, yeah, I want to, I think I want to go to Boston college, you know, and, and it, it just worked out, you know, it was, uh, it was great. I, I, I love the school, you know, and, and then Jerry York came in years later and, and went on a, went on a tear. I think he's got five national championships. Um, you know, the, the program, you know, now an old teammate of mine, uh, Greg Brown is the head coach and it's just, it's just such a special place. I, I, I love the school. I love my time there. And um, it, it's good to see one of my old teammates uh, at the helm. Now, uh, being in the Navy, we get to go down to Boston a lot. And I've got, I've had the opportunity to go watch some of these bean pot games that uh, go on in Boston. Um, yeah. I've noticed that they get a little bit um, physical up in the stands even. So what's the, what's the deal with the bean pot? Well, it's the oldest and best uh, college hockey tournament in, uh, in the United States. Um, you know, when I played, we were playing in the old Boston garden and it was really your first taste of like, what it's like to play in a packed NHL rink. And, um, you know, it's BC, BU, Harvard, and Northeastern, you know, the schools are, I mean, they're within a five mile radius of each other. And yeah, I I haven't been in the stands for too many of them, but uh, yeah, the schools is, it's very, very competitive and um, there's a lot of pride at stake. And like I said, it's just a, it's a great tournament. And it's a first two February's, our first two Mondays in February every year. And uh, it's something that everybody in the area looks forward to. I know I had a fun time. The parts I remember. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you find uh, with the NCAA that there's any, like, I mean, I know you're a Massachusetts guy, so you're, you're, you're an East coast, uh, uh, the, the East coast league there for the, for NCAA, or I forget the name of it. Uh, but do you find there's any one system better than the other or any one, or is it all pretty much equal across the board? Like you have, uh, like, do you, do you, I, if, I don't know. Are, if you, talk, are you talking, with. are you talking like, like college divisions, junior hockey or, or yeah, well, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll go that direction. Do you find uh, the college hockey? So there's always a debate here in Canada on which is the tougher division, which is the better, which makes the better players yeah. and stuff like that. My argument's always been, you have, college hockey where some of the players are playing against older people they're playing against you know adults we'll say right mm-hmm. like in their 20s whereas in junior hockey in Canada it's all the same age and you're going to have a big spectrum of talent right 
Right, um, right. So do you find, I guess this actually gets into a couple of general manager questions, I guess, but do you find that uh, NCAA players are, are better prepared to say, take the next step to junior players, or is it just basic talent based? No, I, I, I think it goes a little deeper than that too. I think it's, I think it's more of a culture thing as well. Um, junior hockey is a part of Canadian culture, right? That you do. That's what kids, that ki- that's what kids aim to be is, is a junior hockey player before they go to the NHL. They know that that's their route. That's their quickest route. American kids um, for the most part, our focus on going to college, whether it be for one year or four years, uh, that's the most uh, popular route. Um, if I'm looking at it as, uh, uh, you know, a, a general manager, it all comes down to the person. It all comes down to the individual. So you can see that, you know, there, there could be a kid, a Canadian kid that's playing junior, but you might shy away from him, like even drafting him because you know he he's not ready yet and you're going to have to sign him in two years, where if he went to college and gave himself four years to develop, he's going to be far better off in four years than he was in two years, where that two years where you have to sign him, he's definitely not ready. And he's going to be jumping into something that he's not prepared, that are prepared for. Um, you know, that being said, the the junior players I feel are so much more well I don't want to say so much more they're very much prepared for the the NHL life they've been living that life they know they know like the kind of the game within the game because there's fighting in junior hockey and there's still intimidation and things like that that's something that a college player has to learn like it's it's very different so I think it's more like it's not just like the the you know, the skating, the shooting, the, the, the games, it, it's, it's more of a cultural thing and kind of what fits the individual best. I don't know uh, if that made any being, sense. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's, no, that's makes perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. And, and being a former player development and former player at, from the NCAA level now as a GM, how do you guys go about seeing if the kid is ready to make that jump? If he wants to be early or if you have to wait those four years? Well, you know, I, I think we just through experience um, and, and just really getting to know your players and, and really kind of figuring out what their ceiling is going to be. I remember um, I remember when I was doing player development, uh, Brian Russ was one of my one of my guys and he was he was frustrated. He wasn't playing much at Notre Dame. He was struggling offensively um, and he wanted to come out. And, you know, Brian's brother was a, a really good player at, at the University of Michigan. And he was playing for us in, in Wilkes-Barre, but was in and out of the lineup. And I asked Brian, I said, you know, you think your brother's a good player? And he's like, yeah, my brother's a good player. And he was. He was a good player. And I said, well, your brother's not even in the lineup every night. And he's better than you right now. So what do you think's going to happen to you? And he's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah. Like, so – be patient. He was coached well by Jeff Jackson at Notre Dame. And by his senior year, you know, two more years, you know, he had gotten better his junior year. He got even better his senior year. I think he scored 20 goals. And then he was ready. If he came out after his sophomore year, he wasn't ready. and He, he probably would have failed. 
because he wouldn't have been able to make the lineups and he just wouldn't have played. And and that's that's kind of what what can happen if if you jump into it too early or if you if you kind of run out of runway. So on the subject of player development, because as a Canadians fan, we've had issues with player development. <laughs> we think we've had issues with player development for years. When you go through player development, is it a team system or is it you take individual players and say, see where they're at in their development, and that's where you go from there? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, is or, yeah, or yeah, yeah. Basically well, say, yeah. this is what we do. Either you fit it or you don't. Yeah, first of all, I'm not, I'm in no place to comment on any other teams. No, uh, no, I understand. Yeah. This yeah. is just what, what I feel. I think you have to have, uh, I think you have to have a philosophy. But then you, it, it's also got to be kind of, you have to be able to roll with it a little bit too, because, um, and it's got to be individualized because everybody's different. Everybody develops at a different pace. Um, you know, usually it takes defensemen and goalies a little bit longer to make it to forwards. It takes a center a little bit longer than a winger. Um, you know, it, it, you could have uh, an immature personality compared to a, somebody that's very mature for their age. So in my, in, in my philosophy, you know, longer is always better, like overcook them. Uh, you know, let, like I think Kenny Holland, Kenny Holland said it best, let them bake, mm. you know, and just, just let them sit there. You can come out too early, but you can never stay too long. So if there's ever a question, stay and, and, you know, maybe play three or four years of college, you know, maybe play the one extra year of junior because that's only going to give you more confidence. So you, you take a philosophy and then you individualize it. Well, with new players coming into your system, uh, what, what's the approach? Like you, you just picked up favor from, uh, from the Fiala trade. Uh, what, how do you get about uh, understanding that player a little bit more, much quicker? Well, you know, we get our, our player development guys. We have Brad Bombardier, Matt Hendricks, and uh, and uh, we, we just added Cody McLeod. And um, those guys are, are hands-on right away. You know what? I, I've, I've made my contact, you know, with Brock. I've had some conversations with him. But then it's those guys who really start to get to know him, who really start to create that relationship and uh, learn more about him and let him learn a lot more about us. And I think, you know, you just create that bond and that trust that's extremely important because those guys will be with him, uh, you know, the whole way through. They'll be, they'll, they'll be a support system for him the whole way through, no matter what. Um, so those guys are, you know, critical to, to a young player's success and to our success. And, uh, you know, for a kid like Faber, uh, you know, they – they're kind of like the conduit to the, to the organization and, and make them feel like uh, part of the family already. What are the biggest changes you see in the NHL today from the NHL when you played, like uh, as opposed to building a team or putting a team together and, and stuff like that? Like what is there, is there a change in philosophy of, of, of the way hockey is played? Well, there's, I mean, the game's much different now. It's much I don't want to say better. It's, it's, you know, it's always getting bigger, faster, stronger, better, Mm -hmm. more skilled. Like the skill is ridiculous now. Like, but I think the biggest thing or one of the biggest things in my mind is how young it's gotten. 
it's a young man's game. You know what? There's no more like, oh, he's a rookie. He can't play in these situations or, you know, he's got to play here and earn his way up. They got to earn their way on the team. But like, I remember last year, Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi both played their first game for us in Boston. Both of them, their first shifts in the NHL were on the power play. That, that was unheard of, yeah. you know, back in, back in the day. And, um, but I, I don't mind that because a lot of times, um, and it, the transition was really hard going through that because we're so used to doing it one way for so long, but then, you know, we had many of these discussions when a bunch of us worked, uh, you know, all, we had a great crew in Pittsburgh. We had to start doing that because a lot of the times those guys were our best players. And why would we, you know, Mike Sullivan was great at it. And Dean Everson's great at it too. Like, why are we going to play a skilled guy on the fourth line just because he's got 10 NHL games or two NHL games? Play him in the situation he should be in, no matter what. And I, I just think it, it makes just so much more sense. We, we've actually mm-hmm. talked about that on our show. Yeah. <laughs> like before, yeah. You know, yeah. look, you, you got, that would be like sticking Cole Caulfield on the fourth line for a year and just say, you know, you got, you got to pay your dues. Why? Yeah. He's a great player. Like, he should be on the power play. He should be on the first line. He should you know what? He, he's good. Like same thing with Matt Boldy. He should be on the power play. He should be playing all those minutes because they're good. I don't care how young they are, how inexperienced they are. They're, they're good. Yeah, they they, they got to learn the situations they're going to be playing in, in the future. And if they don't sink or swim, no, well, not sink or swim is probably the wrong thing, but they're going to make mistakes, but they need to make the mistakes in the situation they're in to correct them. Am I wrong on that? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. no, hundred percent. They're going to make yeah. mistakes. Well, you know what? We got guys making, you know, six, seven, eight, nine million dollars and make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody makes them. We all, yeah. we all make them. It's just, you know, but you, you continue to learn no matter how old you are, how much you make. You continue to learn. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned uh, Dean Evison's work with the younger guys. I noticed that Joel Erickson Eck had a massive jump in his play in the last two seasons. Uh, how is he, uh, what was he missing before you guys showed up? Opportunity. I mean, he had been pigeonholed into that, you know, oh, you're only going to be a third line center. You're going to kill penalties, no power play. He's got so much offense and we pushed him. Like Dino and I like had a meeting with him. It's like, no score. We want you to, we won't be mad at you if you score. Like, Take you know what? Take a few chances here and there. We love how responsible responsible you are, but you know what? Go for a breakaway. You know what? Yeah, you play. You know, and and he's a hell of a player. And that's what I I love about Dino is that like he Dean, Dean is so um, simple, and that is the biggest compliment I can give him because he's like, you know what? I don't give a crap about all that, that other shit. He goes, give me the players, I'll coach them. And he just, he sees the positive in everybody and he'll put guys in a position to succeed. You know, he's, he's unbelievable like that. So having said that with you, does your coach have an input on the type of players you bring into the team or the type of decisions you make? Uh, Or is it more you make the decision and go, is this going to fit? 
No, listen, I, I, I include Dino in as much as I can. Um, but we, you know, we, we kind of have an agreement that, look, at, I'm going to do my job. You know what? I'm going to manage. He's going to coach and the players are going to play. That being said, you know, I, I, I hired Dean as a coach because him and I are very in line with, um, you know, our personalities are the same. The way we view hockey is the same. The way we like the game played is the same. Um, the way we trust young players is the same. So we're, we're in line on a lot of things. I, I kind of keep up to speed with uh, maybe the type of players that we're going to get, or we could get this guy, but Dean has never once come to me um, and said, this guy stinks, get rid of him. We need this type of guy or anything. He's never done that. And I, I really respect that because I do feel that, you know, co- a lot of coaches say, you know, this guy stinks. He can't play. Well, no, he doesn't. He's in the National Hockey League. He doesn't stink. You got to coach him better. And I give Dino a lot of credit for never never doing that. He, he always just looks to help the guys. There you go, Blaine. That's what you need to start doing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I just can't do it. There's no talent underneath me. I can't do yeah. it. It starts with the coaching, Blaine. <laughs> hey, we won. We won ten national championships. Yeah, barely. Hey, <laughs> a win's a win. A win's a win. That's right. Yeah, a win's a win. We win free beer. That's ten free cases hey, right there. That. I'll take that. Now, you. Uh, you took over Minnesota and had this reputation of being a very boring hockey team. But in the last two years, they've turned into one of the, the better entertainment value teams that you can possibly watch. Like I think this year you guys had, I think it was the best or second best season the franchise has ever had. Yeah, it's the best season. Now, unfortunately, the playoffs didn't quite go the way you guys wanted. Uh, was was that you mentioned the inti- in, uh, intimidation factor earlier? Was it some of that, or was it just uh, a lack of experience? You know what? I it definitely wasn't intimidation. I, I think it was. Um, uh, I think it was a lack of of execution at the right time. You know, I, I look back on our series against uh, St. Louis, and they're very. Um, experienced team. A lot of those guys have, have, you know, won a Stanley Cup. Uh, In in game four, we had a great opportunity Um, when they lost, uh, when they had lost three defensemen and, you know, they they were really undermanned and, and we kind of got away from our game. We got, we, we took our foot off the gas, got away from our game plan. We didn't execute our game plan and that really hurt. So um, meant, the mental toughness to just stick with it and stick with it and stick with it um, wasn't quite there that game. And that really, I, I think that was the, the pivotal game of the series. Um, but that, again, that's something to learn from. And it's, if you look at, you know, all these, these teams that, that have won Stanley Cups, including the Tampa Bays, man, there's been some heartbreak along the way. And you don't, it just doesn't happen with a snap of your fingers. You got to go through some pain. And I, I 
I was extremely proud of our team and guys as a team and individuals of the season that we had. Um, and yeah, you know, we are a fun team to watch and we play a great style and we have one of the most exciting dynamic young players in the game and Kirill Kaprizov. Um, and you know, we kind of, we kind of go hell bent for leather and it's, uh, you know, I, I give Dino a lot of credit to play that way and it's, it's fun. Has uh, Krill come close to a ceiling yet, or are we going to see more out of him? I think you're going to see more. Yeah. I think you're going to see more. And I think he's he's just going to keep getting better and better. I I, I, I really do. And he's just uh, – he's special. He really is. I, I It's not just the, the point production. It's the way he does it. Um, there was one game we were down against St. Louis, and you could just see it. He's trying to put the team on his back. He's trying to, to get everybody going. And, he, you know, this is just really his – I mean, it was his second year in the league, but, like, you know, his first real taste of the NHL, fans in the building again and all that stuff. And he's just, he's just electric. Do you think he gets uh, – he doesn't get enough press because you guys are in the Western Conference and the Eastern media doesn't really pay that much attention because – when I watch him, he, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Pavel Bure. Yeah. I mean, he, he is like that. He's explosive. He, he can kind of come out of nowhere. And, and next thing you know, it's in the back of the net. Um, you know, I, 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 I just think it'll take time really, you know, there's, there's so many great players in the, in the league now that it, that it's, um, you know, it's tough to, to pump all their tires. But Kirill is, I mean, I, I put him up there with the best. I really do. I mean, I just, he's incredible. He really is. And to watch him on a, on a nightly basis is, uh, is a lot of fun. Now, there were some, a couple of months back, there were some problems in Russia. Have you guys been able to uh, send a SEAL team, get him back home? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We called in, uh, you know, Minnesota Wild Special Forces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be all so awesome. No problems there, then. No, it's, we should be. Yeah. Uh, just a couple questions about the draft. So when you go into a draft, any any particular draft, uh, you have a certain list of players that you want that you think are going to go at certain places, or is it just here's the list, here's what I think these guys might pick, but if they don't, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, how do you, yeah, yeah. you go to your, your draft well, board? And- to, to be completely honest, I leave that up to Judd Brackett and, and his okay. – uh, you know, he's the director of amateur scouting for us. He does a fantastic job. Um, and him and his group, uh, you know, they, they take all their areas and mesh their, you know, all the regions and kind of fine tune it and move players around. But when we go in, it's a, it's a very detailed list. And as players get picked, we mark them off. And, and it, it is quite amazing to me though, like uh, how, how accurate um, they can be, how accurate Judd can be. <laughs> he, uh, he told us seven names before the draft even happened. I think a couple weeks before it even happened. I think we got five of those guys. Like it's, it's incredible how they can all just kind of fine tune it. And I think we have the best. I think Judd's the best in the business and, uh, you know, he's just been, he's been great for us. So it's, it's something that I really leave it to those guys. I trust them. And, 
you know, we, we've got a, we've got a nice uh, stable of good young players that, that are going to help us uh, sooner than later. Yeah, one of them is Marco Rossi. And I wanted to know uh, how well has he recovered from his uh, health issue from a couple of seasons ago? Yeah, he's a hundred percent healthy. Um, you know, that's one of those things like you have a good young player drafted very high, uh, but he had some health concerns from COVID and, you know, he missed a year. And I think everybody was really like, you know, anxious to see him in Minnesota last year and really want to see him play. And I, I understand that, but that wasn't going to be the best thing for Marco Rossi. You know, if, if we were, you know, I guess selfish might be a strong word for it, but selfish and risking his career and his success just so we can, you know, stick him in our lineup, uh, you know, that would have been wrong. And so we, we kept him in Iowa, uh, you know, the whole year, except for two games. And um, he did everything we asked of him. He was a point of game player. He was played in all situations. He played big minutes, all the things that he wasn't going to do in Minnesota. So now he's got that experience. And now we're looking for him to, to push this year to make the team. Right. Uh <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted there, but um, I, I'm, I'm in a condo in Ottawa and our parking garage is getting fixed. I didn't know where to park. So I had to find out where I had to, where I could park my truck first. I didn't even know it would fit in, but <laughs> um, so you got Marco Rossi, you got a good young uh, a group of players. Um, are you, so, so we always go with this rebuilding, you know, contending, whatever, where on the stage do you think you guys are right now? Like, to me, I would say you're a, a pretty good playoff position team, but do you find, do you, are, is there another building block you got to put in there before you think you guys can take the next step? Yeah, I, I well, I, I, I expect to take the next step no matter what. Okay. Um, we, we absolutely need this next generation of players to, um, at some point in time, help put us over the top. You know, I think the the fortunate thing is like when I got when I came in and and, and took this job, uh, you know, I, I looked at at the roster and there were guys like like Spurgeon, Brodine, Dumba, Eric Sinek, Foligno, um, Zuccarello, you know, guys like that, you know, Greenway um, that that I mean, that's a really solid core of players right there. Um, I, I really didn't feel that we had to burn it all down and, and, and start from nothing. And uh, I just believe in that group of guys. And, and I think now that we've, you know, we've added the Boldies, we've added, you know, Goudreau and Jost and, uh, you know, guys like, you know, Kaprizov obviously came in, Ryan Hartman's had a re- resurgence and, um, you know, it's just, we, we've kind of added as we've gone along without, without getting rid of, uh, you know, first round picks and second round picks, third round picks, things like that. So we, we've able, been able to do a little uh, kind of restocking the shelves, if you will, uh, on the fly uh, without really sacrificing our, our on ice product. Uh, all right. And now, geez, what was I? I got distracted too. I got my kids running around the house. 
<laughs> Actually, yeah, I'm going to ask you about that. You, you, you were a player. You're a hockey dad. Um, yeah. I've been trying to convince my my son that he doesn't have to play hockey year round. How important is it to play other sports? I think it's super important. I, I just think for the, you know, there's so much stress on the young kids nowadays, like in their single sport athletes, like just be a kid, you know, like, Hey, I get it. You know what? You want to be a good hockey player. You want to be a, you know, I, I get it, but you know what? There are guys that I've played with. They, they can't throw a ball. <laughs> like, it's incredible. Um, and, and there, there are certain guys that, that they're just hockey players and they're like, they can't even have a conversation. Like if you're not talking about hockey, they don't, they can't carry a conversation. Like, and I think, I think a lot of that is lost and, and you know, I don't know. Like I, I, I could, I guess I could go on for hours and hours, but I do worry about the kids in, in today's world with, with single sport and so much pressure and scholarships and this and that social media, social media, it's it's great, but it also stinks. And, you know, it just, they're, they're just, there's just so much pressure on them. So I would, I would, I love to see kids playing multiple sports. It's just, it's a nice break, you know, and, and it does make you a better athlete. It it really does. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just a big believer in that. Do you think social media is, and, and that pressure is a big reason why some players stay away from teams like Montreal, Toronto, New York? They just want to, like, the, like they understand that, uh, you know, they're, you know, historic teams, but they want to kind of stay out of that uh, pressurized limelight? Or do you I, think it's... I actually kind of disagree with you. I think they're okay. going back to that. I, I don't okay. think they... I think, I think these kids are in a way they're better equipped to handle it than ever before because they, they, they bring that, they want that, they want that attention. They want the, the social media stuff, but it can also be damaging too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I still do think they're, they're, they're some of the young players that, that, uh, that don't care about it or would shy away from it. But I do think that there are the kids that really welcome the, the attention. You know, hockey players are, uh, they're, they're not that introverted, you know, uh, boxed answer in an interview anymore. Like, there's more personality in the game than ever, which is great. I just, I, I have a love-hate relationship with, with social media because I do love it. Like, I, my kids always bust my chops. I love TikTok. Like, I just, <laughs> I get a kick out of it. I, I just love it, you know. I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. I got off Twitter almost two years ago now because it was too negative. There's just too much shit being said out yeah. there with no accountability. So I get the positives, but I also get the negatives and it's, it's a really tough balancing act. And, you know, it, it's gotta be hard for a play. It's hard enough to play and put pressure on yourself and want to perform. But then if, if you're one of those players that needs to know what people are saying, or if your wife or girlfriend needs to know what people are saying, oh boy, it can get real ugly because there's some nasty people out there wow. saying some stuff that would never say it to your face. Yeah. Now we, we, we write for the hockey writers and we get that all the time when we put an article out. Like, you know, it's, 
it's, it's, yeah. it's a commentary slash opinion piece like you can disagree but you don't have to be a dick dick about it you know what i mean like right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and, and you know what like i said there's some great there's some great things about social media yeah. and but like you know i mean so much of it so much of it leads to you know the anxiety and depression in young people you know it, it, it's because you see everybody living their best life and you know, half the time they're full of crap. You know, nobody lives a perfect life. Everybody's down in the dump sometimes, but nobody posts that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just, it, it, it can be really, it can be really tough for these young kids. So I just think it's, it's, you know, it, it can be dangerous. And you know what the other thing is too, for the, for the players or, or the coaches or the managers, like, you know, the people that are, are saying the negative things on social media, if they saw that player out in a bar or restaurant, they would probably ask for an autograph and a picture. They wouldn't say that to their face. They never would. It's just the way it is. And that, that bothers me too. If you, if you wouldn't say it to somebody's face, you shouldn't be saying it on social media. Yeah, Blaine. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I've always said you're a bastard. Always. That being said, Don't I'm comment on you guys right now. <laughs> Now, you're friends with the Canadian's general manager, uh, Kent Hughes. Is that pressure yep. something that he was concerned with? Uh, you know what? I, I don't know. I don't think it was the pressure. I think, I mean, Kent had built such a great business, well, you know, over years and years of hard work that you know, he had something pretty good going, you know. He had great clients. He was on kind of autopilot there, and, and you know, this – that that job is incredibly tough and in any market, but, you know, especially Montreal. And I think he's doing a fantastic job. He's uh, I think him, him and Jeff together are a really good team. They're, they're good people and smart and, you know, they're, I think they're doing a fantastic job. Do you think, uh, does it bother you that now Kent doesn't care about the, uh, about the uh, salary cap when before, or now that he cares oh, about the salary cap, that a or, lot different or, now. <laughs> <laughs> he he no. said it. He Kent said in an interview. He goes, a lot of general managers are are asking me why I all of a sudden care about the, the salary <laughs> cap when I didn't before. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah. No, it seems like he was built for it though. He's really handling it well, and um, you know, I, I he, he's just. They're, they're moving ahead and they, they've got, they've got guts and they've got, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're doing the right things. And you see, saw the job that Jeff did in New York and I just think they're a really good team. And yeah, it's, it's funny to see Kent on the other side now. Now has Kent, against, oh, you go ahead. Uh, no, go I was ahead. just going to say, has Kent ever come to you for advice or anything like that? Or like, do, do general managers do that just off? The oh side? yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. We, we do it all the time. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's just something you do, you know, you, some guys are closer than others and, um, you know, but, but you always, you can always lean on each other, uh, you know, for, for different advice or bounce, bounce ideas off of guys. And, you know, I've got a handful of guys that I do that with all the time and, um, yeah, it, it's, it's good. It's nice to, it's nice to have that. Go ahead there, Blaine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, uh, when you were a player, you sat in through uh, 
the emergence of the salary cap and you were on the other side of the table, was that something that kind of piqued your interest as to what, uh, and to kind of become a manager? Oh yeah. 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 It was, um, you know, you, you went to, uh, you know, Mike Gartner told, told me, he's like, you're, you're going to hockey business one one when you, when you take this responsibility on. And it was, uh, he was, he was bang on, he was right. Uh, it gave me the opportunity to, to get an inside look at, uh, the real business of hockey, you know, not just, you know, uh, player salaries and trades and things like that. It was the real business, like the, 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 you know, the, the, the drive behind the money, the drive behind the ownerships want for a, a salary cap, why, why they felt that need to happen. And I got the experience of actually sitting across the table from, you know, Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, uh, a, a bunch of the owners and my current owner, uh, Craig Leopold was on the owner side and um, just seeing, seeing how they reacted and how they, how they handled themselves. And it was, uh, yeah, I, and I always encourage young players to, uh, to get involved in the PA. Um, you know, it's, it's a, a fantastic organization that, that not only like looks after the players, but you, you can learn a lot if you're involved. And I think it's important for guys to, to take, you know, to take that interest and in ownership in, in their own career and in, in their own, uh, their union. Slide back to your playing career. Who was your toughest opponent and who was the toughest goal? Who do you feel was the toughest goalie in the NH- in your time? Oh man, my time. Toughest opponent. Oh boy. Oh, God, I mean, there's so many of them. I think, you know what, playing against Mario, um, when, you know, when we used to go into Pittsburgh and they had like seven or eight hall of famers, uh, you know, on their team, you know, when, when Mario was out there, you know, he's six, six or whatever he is, six, five. He had such good hands. He was one step at, he was so rangy too. There, there was literally like, there was literally nothing you could do. Like you, you tried to stop him, but there there was almost just just no stopping it. And I think just seeing him, you know, so often being in the East, um, you know, there are other guys that played, you know, played hard. They're abrasive. Like Mark Messier was incredible, uh, you know, incredibly tough to play against. So was Eric Lindros. But but Mario, there was almost like no defense. Like you just couldn't you couldn't stop him. Um, and then goaltenders. Uh, you know, obviously Marty Broders and Patrick Waz, uh, you know, J.S. Jaguar was really tough. He was, he was really good. He was just like one of the first guys that was just like one of those blocking goalies. So when you, when you were coming down the wing and you, you look to take a shot, there was like, you couldn't see anything. And, um, so he was really good too. And Mike Richter, Mike Richter was phenomenal. I, you know, they're, they're so, and the dominator played against the great goalies. Like I could beat them. I just, they were, uh, you know, I guess if they stunk, I would have scored more. <laughs> but they didn't stink because they're in the NHL. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to score, but what do I know? I'm just a beer leaguer. Yeah. I play lacrosse. You got, so. you got championships, though. Yeah. Beer. I play yeah. I play beer lacrosse, beer. so I definitely wasn't scoring. <laughs> I love lacrosse. 
lacrosse yeah. is my second love. I, I played in middle school and high school. We played field hockey, you know, field lacrosse. Yeah. yeah. In, no, I, in, uh, but I, I love it. L- lacrosse is a great game. Yeah, I play lacrosse since I was 10 years old, semi-pro. I played over in Prague, over in Yager's hometown there and all over the world. I just love uh, it. That's great. And that, yeah. that game is just spectacular. My, my three daughters uh, all uh, played college lacrosse. So it, it's uh, my, my son didn't love it. Um, you know, he likes hockey, but uh, I love lacrosse. Lacrosse is great. There you go, Blaine. <laughs> No else played. Newendike, Gretzky, Shanahan. Yeah, yeah. It's a great game. It's great for hockey players. I mean, why are you crapping on me, Treg? I played too. Yeah, but not very well. <laughs> no. I was really good at slashing. Well, that's how you check. Yeah, it's yeah. checking. What? Slashing. Oh, yeah. I went through a couple of lacrosse sticks a week. Yeah. Now, I, we were, you were talking about the social media aspect earlier, and one thing that it's good for is letting players know when they're traded uh, before social media existed. How hard was it for you? Because you got traded more than once. Did, uh, did you find out in any novel ways at any point about a trade? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, my first, uh, my first trade, uh, a reporter called me asking if it was true that I got traded. Um, I said, I, I didn't, I didn't know. Uh, but then Lou, you know, Lou talked to me. Um, and I, I, I was, but my the <laughs> second time I got traded, um, was, uh, I was traded from Edmonton to Boston. I was at the West Edmonton mall and, um, my daughter was taking skating lessons and I was just watching her and, uh, the guy standing next to me was kind of staring at me and I was I, uh, just, so I looked at him. I said, how you doing? And he's like, I was, he, he said, Billy, I'm surprised to see you here. I'm like, well, I'm just watching my daughter take her skating lessons. And he said, well, I thought you'd be gone by now. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I heard on the radio on the way in here that you were trading. I'm like, what? Yeah, you know, I had a cell phone then too, but I just left it in the car. You didn't always have to have your cell phone back then. So I went and, uh, I jumped on a payphone and used my calling card to call my agent. And I had, in fact, been in trade. I bet I had, in fact, had been traded to the Boston Bruins. And that's how I found out about my second one. Yeah, it was crazy. How is Kevin Weeks finding out about all these moves before everybody else? That's what I want. That's, that's what I really want to know. That's what I'd like to know, too. <laughs> He got he got the insiders of insiders. <laughs> I don't think yeah. it's I you know I know these guys I know everybody's doing their job, but I I you know and I know all the other general managers feel the same way that it's it's not it's not helpful, um, you know because the players involved have families and it's their lives and you know I just we all feel like they should be notified before the public and you know hey, look everybody's just doing their job it's no no hard feelings or anything like that and it's entertainment and but you know I, I feel bad for the guys that find out through social media yeah when I, I manage large groups at work 
and you got to be a little bit detached. It's business-like. You got to treat it like the job, but there's a balance. Like, where, where do you find your line between uh, being personal and being business-like? With, uh, as, as to the trades? To, to just being well, a general manager. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know what? I, 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 you know, and I remember somebody telling me once early on, like, you know, you've got to be a little more buttoned up or this or that. And I, it's like, you know, and I, I tried that for a little while and it just didn't feel right. Didn't work. Wasn't me. I think you have to be yourself. And, you know, I'm a social person. I, I like interacting with, I like interacting with players, with, you know, other GMs, with uh, fans, with media. I'm, I'm just a social guy. Like I, so you know, I, I think people that know me know that I can be social. Uh, I can have a good time. I can be fun, funny, whatever. But when it comes down to business, I can make the tough, the tough decisions and I will. Um, that, that has nothing to do with how we interact on a, on a, on a daily basis. I have a job to do and I'm going to do it. And, but you know, what? always, always, you know, say hi to you in the hallway and I'm never too busy to, you know, stop and have a conversation and things like that. So it's, you know, try not to take myself too seriously also. Have you ever uh, made a, a move or decision that you regretted? Well, I mean, I suppose you have, but is there any ones like when you're, when you're talking trade with another team, do you, Actually, let me rephrase this. When you're talking trade, like there's always says there's trades you need to win, there's trades you need to lose. Have you ever gone into a trade knowing that you're probably going to get the 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 worst end of this, but it was going to be better for the team in the long run? Or do you always go to try to make the best trade you can make to improve the team? Just best trade I can do to make the improve the team. I, I don't I don't look to win a trade or I, I always try to make fair deals. Um if somebody's trying to win a trade it's really off putting. Uh, I, I don't, um, I don't think many guys do, but I also find if you're too busy trying to win the trade, you're going to have a hard time making the trade. Uh, and you know what? Uh, you know what? I'm going to do what's best for my team. If you think I lost the trade, I don't care. You know what? I'm making my move. I'm making my decision, and I'm putting it in the rearview mirror. That's it. And you know what? If it, if it, you know what? And I, I you know, I, I, I learned a lot of this from Jim Rutherford, and Jim made a lot of moves. If it didn't work, he'd try to fix it. You know, he'd just say, you know what? This isn't working. I'm going to move again, and I'll try to this one. And he just kept going and going. And you know, I, I learned a lot from that. Like you're never going to, you know, you're never going to bat a thousand, but you oh, just yeah. keep going. And, and don't, don't look back. Yeah, and the only reason I ask is because that's a big thing in the fan world. Oh yeah. yeah. Who, who won the who trade? Won. Who won loss and who won the trade? And I never looked at tra- Blaine and I talk about this I, all the time. I, can't, I don't look I can't at trades that, that way. Yeah. I can't listen to yeah. that. You know, yeah. and, and yeah, hey, look, every general manager is just doing what they can for their team. And you never know. Even for me, looking on the outside, like, you know, you can look at any trade that's made. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the inside there. Do you have to cut costs? Do you have to, 
you know, wait, get a pick back? Do you have to, like, I don't know the inside story to every, every team. I know the inside story to one team and that's mine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some teams are, it depends on the situation. Some are rebuilding. So they're trying to give the, uh, the older players another chance at winning somewhere else, or, you know, they, like you said, they just want some picks so they can start building towards that. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's got their own style too. Like, I I don't think uh, I don't hold grudges. I don't hold things against guys or anything like that. We're all just—it's hard. We're just doing our best, and we're you know we're all just trying to make our teams better and, and compete for the Stanley Cup. So uh, we're all, a lot of teams are in different stages than others, but um, you know you really just have to respect the guy that you're you know you're you're, you're trying to do a deal with. Trey? No, I'm. That's no. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty much tapped out for yeah. all the questions that I was going to have. What about you, Trey? I was going to ask for some Sidney Crosby stories, but you don't like the guy, so I'm not going to. Uh... <laughs> I didn't want he's to say funny. He is funny. I tell you what, he's such a he's such an awesome guy. I I. I I can't say enough good things about him. I, I look back to those Pittsburgh days as some of my favorite. And he's just, you know, I, he was, I can't, I cannot believe he was 22 years old when we won that Stanley Cup in 2009. I think he's what, 34 now? 35? Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Oh, God. I remember he saw it. Yeah, God. We used to have some, we had some fun together, man. Just some great laughs. He's the, just to see the, the leader that he's turned into and, um, what he's done in the game. He's just, uh, he's the best man. He, they don't come better than that. I can't imagine why he wouldn't have invited you to his house in all these years. I mean, uh, we don't like the guy. Could he be? We don't like each other that much. <laughs> Didn't you move to a place where your house is on Crosby lane or something like that? Or. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it kills me. I, I, <laughs> I sent a picture back to all the boys from 09, and I, like with my head against the, the street sign, like I can't get away from it. But it's it's great. Yeah. He's a special guy. Well, I just want to say, Bill, thanks for coming on. Uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, unless, Blaine, you got something else. I think we're just about to wrap I it just, up. One, one question. Yeah. If you weren't doing hockey, what would you want to do? You know what? I've been asked that before. I I, I don't know because uh, I never planned on anything else, and this is this is what I love to do. It's it's my passion. It's what I'm good at. It's my life. I just love it. If I had to if I had to do something else right now, honestly, I I would love to uh, I'd love to like get in the beer business. You know, I I love the craft breweries that are out there now and all that stuff. I know it's a lot of hard work and things like that. But I, I'd love to do something like that. Just something kind of out of the box and I've, that I've never been able to do before, but that would be a lot of fun. I'm not, I'm not built for, you know, uh, office life or anything like that. It, something like that would be really cool. Well, uh, Bill, uh, thank you for coming on the show. I mean, you're one of the few people that, uh, that actually followed through. I mean, Marty Saint Louis <laughs> has said that he's going to come on, but he never has. Oh, I mean, come on. He'll be on. Probably because he can't. Once we, 
It's probably because he can't believe I'm a grandfather. When I went to get the picture with him, yeah. there's a three kids on my phone. He goes, oh, is that your kids? I said, no, it's my grandkids. And we're the same age. So he's like, your grandkids. <laughs> so scared him. Well, I, don't know. I, I scared Bergevin away at the Ritz. Maybe I scared Marty St. Louis away at the Orchard. I don't know. <laughs> no, he'll be on. I'll see you guys there next time. That's a great spot. I love it. Oh, oh yes. Yeah, good. definitely. Yeah. We'll probably see you in Nashville or if that's where it's being held. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's what the rumor is. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for being on. I really Thank appreciate you very it. much, Bill. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good rest yeah. of your summer. Yeah. And good luck you with too. the team next year. Thanks. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.